Good morning and welcome this morning to the house of the Lord. It is good to see some uh, old and familiar faces as well as some new faces. Uh, I pray that the Lord would meet you at your point of need this morning, but more importantly, draw your attention and your hope towards Him. It is my prayer as pastor when I do have the privilege, and I was reminded again this week of what a privilege it is to preach, to present the hope of Jesus Christ. He is the one uh, that makes all the difference. Amen. Before I preach, I just want to do a couple of things. Just want to acknowledge a few people. Merle and Shirley Hewing have been a part of Skyview longer than I have. And um, they were a part of the church when I started close to 14 years ago and have been a key and important part of the ministry of Skyview for many years. Uh, Shirley's involvement in women's ministry and Merle's involvement in that very, very important coffee ministry uh, and many other areas, including helping with so much as we were building this facility, has been meaningful ministry for, for many of us. They are transitioning. They are leaving the city of Calgary. In fact, they've already left and they've landed at uh, a different church, uh, not because they don't like us, but because of life circumstance and decision. And so this morning, we just want to acknowledge them and give the Lord thanks for them. And I wonder if it's okay with the two of you just to stand so that we can do that in this time. And And you're always welcome to visit us, and it's okay if we are still the church you attend when you're in Calgary. God bless you. Would you join me in praying as we prepare to hear um, the word of the Lord this morning? Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as the scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you say to us today. Amen. Luke chapter 5, reading from verse 1 through to 11. Once while Jesus was standing beside the lake of Gennesaret, which is another way of saying Galilee, and the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, He saw two boats there at the shore of the lake. The fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon. This is Simon Peter. And asked him to put out a little way from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the crowds from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon... Put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we have worked all night long but have caught nothing yet, if you say so. I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they caught so many fish that their nets were beginning to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and to help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am 
a sinful man. For he and all who were with him were amazed at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. Then Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching people. And when they had brought their boats to shore, they left everything and followed him. The word of the Lord. Over the years, I've heard people talk to me about where they've encountered the presence of God in noticeable ways. I remember once having a conversation with somebody who was explaining to me why I may not see them on a Sunday morning. They said, when I hike the Rockies, and apparently Sunday mornings are a good time to hike the Rockies. My attempt at humor. I experience the presence of God in a way that I don't elsewhere. I've heard some people speak to me about encountering the presence of God in in art or in the beauty of a sunset, I have to admit that I think God really shows up on the beach. (laughs) Plus 25 degree weather. (laughs) With just enough of a breeze to make you feel comfortable. In the Bible, God shows up in interesting places. For example, uh, he shows up in the wilderness a lot, uh, perhaps in a place that, that we don't necessarily think is a place where God shows up. And there's a particular encounter that I think of when I think about God's presence showing up. And that's in, in Exodus when Moses shows up and there's this strange phenomenon of a burning bush. You remember this story? We teach this one in Sunday school. And he's enamored by the bush because it's a flame, but it's not consumed. And as Moses becomes aware that this is more than just a natural phenomenon, but indeed a supernatural phenomenon, he enters into this realization that this is God that is inviting him into something, and he is so intimidated by the invitation of God And he eventually offers, you know, a few excuses, including, I don't speak that good. But God overcomes that. And Moses, as impressed as he was with the presence of God in obedience, though reluctant, does what God calls him to do. Another incident where where God shows up in a profound way in, you know, the, the language of the scripture, as Callie read it this morning in Isaiah, cap- captures for us this, this incredible vision uh, of Elijah in the temple. And it says the, 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 the presence, the glory of God fills the place. Fills the place. The language there in the original has this, this implication that there is no other space for anything because God is so present. I, I wonder what that feels like, you know, that I don't know if you've been in a place like that where the presence of God is so dense, is another word of saying it, is uh, so rich, is so full, is so powerful, is so observable that there is no room for other spirits. 
There's no room for anything else except the very presence of God. And we are keenly aware that God is present in this way. At least we, we hear that the prophet himself was so overcome by the glory of God that he says, woe is me. Woe is me. I guess in the presence of the holy, it is hard not to see yourself as unworthy. In the presence of the divine, in the presence of a God who manifests himself so powerfully, so, uh, so vividly, there is a sense in which the human reaction is much like Moses and much like Isaiah. There is a sense in which it is natural to say, if that is who God is, I don't know about why he would want anything to do with me. <laughs> and yet Moses goes from being a shepherd of sheep to a shepherd of a people liberating from Egyptian slavery. And the prophet himself goes from one who recognizes that from his lips nothing good could come except by the power of God and becomes one of the most important prophets in the Old Testament. The point I'm simply making is that God shows up in the desert and he shows up in the temple. But what I love about our text is that God also shows up in the most ordinary places, the places that perhaps some of us don't anticipate because we think that God is only interested and only present in certain places among certain people. I love Peter. He gives me a lot of grace. When I say things I ought not to say and then catch myself afterwards, I go, I'm such a Peter. When I'm first to say, I'll go, I'll do, I'll be strong, and then the fear and the anxiety comes, I'm a Peter. I'm a Peter in more ways than I'd like to confess to you, but I think one of the ways I'm like a Peter is that I have a strong desire to follow Jesus. A strong desire. In fact, the, the one thing I fall back on throughout my ministry is, is, is in the form of a prayer that I say to the Lord. I said, Lord, you have searched my heart and you know what's inside of me. You know that even when I'm not my best, you know that when even I don't feel good, you know that when even I've messed up, that this heart is turned towards you. I love the Old Testament scripture where God says through his prophet, God does not look at the outer appearance, but looks at the very heart of man. And I, I present to the Lord all the time this, this heart and I say, God, you know me. You know my desire. You know my passion. I think Peter is a person like that who has the strong desire to follow the ways of Jesus. But let's be honest, if we read the gospel accounts honestly, he does not always do it well. I think a lot of us here need to appreciate that Peter is in Scripture. A lot of us need to perhaps be confronted with the reality that when God shows up in the ordinary places in his profound presence, that perhaps like Peter, some of us tend to feel inadequate, incapable. Maybe we're saying to ourselves, like Peter does, I, whoa, I'm a, I'm a sinner. 
Whoa, 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 whoa. This is too much. I am ruined. I can't. You know what the miracle is in this text? It's not the, uh, the abundance of fish. It's the fact that Jesus calls men who lacks the faith to believe. They're not even great fishermen. And still... He commissions them to be a part of the most important work that he has in mind for them. You know what is the miracle in the text? That the blessing of God is that he is indiscriminate in his calling of people. Neither their ability, their talent, or their lack of, or their failures, or their lack of success is a hindrance to the God who calls and invites us to, to do something so much more than we believe. Thank you, Pastor Ryan. The Spirit is clearly here in the first two rows. So what do we make of a text that is well-worn? By that I mean, for those who are church people, this is perhaps where we get that phrase, fishers, fishers of men, fishers of women, fishers of of people. What do we make with a text like this that perhaps for some, as we've heard me read it, say, I've heard messages on this, I know what it's about. You know, I'm, I'm convinced that, that the more I grow, I trust I'm growing all the time in faith and trust in the Lord. By the way, sometimes I, I don't grow because things are going well. Sometimes I grow in the adversity I face. Have you ever found that? Sometimes spiritual growth happens through hard things, not always easy things. But as I'm growing in the Lord, I, I'm starting to recognize a few things. I, I'm starting to recognize that there's some things about God's calling upon my life that, um, that makes a difference only when I start to really wrestle with what the Scripture is trying to teach me. Uh, another way of saying it is, is that I can listen for what I hope to hear, or I could listen for what God might want to reveal. And I say that to you honestly, because I think the danger of becoming a very good church person and a very good Bible reader is that we presume a few things. That at some point, the same text means the same thing always, when the Spirit might use the same text to speak a new truth and a new conviction into our lives. So here's some simple thoughts that I hope the Spirit of God through the Word of God might impress upon you. I like Christ's calling of Peter first because it happens in an ordinary day and in the ordinary course of Peter's life. I think that most of our lives we live without much expectation of the holy in the ordinary. We sense that God is perhaps only accessible, only present when we are at worship or reading or listen to special music. I love music. Before I preach on Sunday mornings, I've got my little speaker blaring in my office. It helps me to become attentive to the work that God has called me. Perhaps some of us are convinced 
and have lived our life with such a sense that God is not present in the ordinary things and in the work we are called to do, that we do not anticipate the divine being present there. But our text this morning, perhaps not the primary point, but a point worth making, reminds us that Jesus shows up on an ordinary day when men are doing the work they've been called to do and steps into their lives in such a way that would forever change the trajectory for each one of them. There is the sense that when we live with a dualism of thought when it comes to Christianity, that we relegate the presence and therefore the implication of God's calling upon our lives to only certain spheres of life, to certain things. When God's calling, which is not only for preachers like me, but is extended through Scripture to all who would profess Jesus as Lord, comes to us. It comes to us in the ordinary, everyday lives, not just on the mountains or at a spiritual retreat or when we are listening to good music, but in that which we do every day. I think the text doesn't only teach us that God comes to us in the ordinary days. By the way, I want to read this just to give you a sense of how the psalmist describes this phenomenon. Here's what the psalmist says in Psalm 139. He puts it this way in the form of a question. He says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence. If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. Let me translate that for you. Even if I show up on Sunday mornings for service or not, even when I'm at my workplace working with my colleagues, even when I'm playing with my children and my grandchildren, even when I'm having a good cup of coffee with my pastor, even there the Lord is present by his presence and his hand is there to guide me and his right hand is there to hold me fast living with this dualism I think keeps us from the revelation of God in our day-to-day lives and let me say this I know some of you are not the emotional type you're cerebral I love cerebral people. They always help me because I'm all heart. (laughs) But sometimes cerebral people can miss some things that hard people get, and sometimes hard people can miss what some cerebral people can get. Now, I know there's just not cerebral and hard people here. There's those strange liminal people here that has a bit of both. But may I just offer you where whatever your disposition is, whatever your posture is, wherever the way God has made you, to recognize that the biblical witness affirms this, that God's presence is not confined to only certain places or to certain people. I think that 
The text teaches us that God shows up in the ordinary, but it also shows us that God can show up in times of disappointment. Those two empty boats represent a lot. Uh, they represent all night trying to fish. By the way, you know, they, they say that in the, and, and I think some people have been to the Holy Land. They say the lake that is referred to Galilee here, the, the region of Gennesaret, they say you did your best fishing at night. And it wasn't, it wasn't lure fishing. It wasn't like you put a bait on it, right? Like this was kind of like casting your nets and kind of trying to catch as many fish as you can. And, and so these men, they, they are out at the right time, and they are, according to, to what I've read, they are supposed to be doing this at night because the fish are in the deep water in, at night. And so they did everything right, and, and when Jesus comes by this particular area, he sees two empty boats, which probably means disappointment. In, in fact, the economy worked like this. You, you, you caught the fish. You cleaned the fish, you sold the fish, you ate the fish on the same day. <laughs> and so in the absence of fish, there's a whole chain of events that, that affects the economy in the town. There's a sense in which the failure of fish perhaps represents more than we think. It represents perhaps the kind of disappointment when we have labored hard and kind of anticipate that because we have worked hard, something should be given to us. I know that no matter who you are here this morning, you understand disappointment. Whether it be that, you know, that girl didn't respond to you. Uh, how do they communicate these days? Is it TikTok? Uh, what's that? Text? Didn't get the text back that you wanted? Uh, maybe it's not the promotion that you were expecting. Maybe there's disappointment in your relationships with your family. Maybe things just are not the way you anticipated it to be at this particular season in life. And let me just say it this way. I think that disappointment can keep us from experiencing and knowing the presence of God because it clouds our ability to believe that our disappointment is not a hindrance to the calling of God. It is not a hindrance to the presence of God. Let me just make this point. Think with, think with me on this. Jesus calls men who vocationally just crashed and burned. Jesus called men who were amazed when he could point out where the fish is to the point where one of them says, I am a sinner, please go away from me. Jesus does not call those who necessarily have it all right and all figured out or have tons of faith because he chooses to. He chooses to. And he chooses to do so for a few reasons, I think. I think one of it is those who have tasted disappointment recognize that they are not God. You know what the, the, the pandemic has done for many of us is taught us that we're not God. You say, still, I've never thought of myself as God. Yes, yes, what God-like thoughts go like. As long as I do this, this, and this, I've got it together, right? I can control my environment. Have you ever noticed how fast your environment can just get, like, imploded? How fast things can go wrong? How things that were once secure are no longer secure? How life can change fast? 
You know, I think sometimes when this happens to us, we don't see it as a gift. But sometimes when life happens the way it has for many of us over the last two years, it reminds us that we are not the Savior. That we are not God. Indeed, that we are in need of a Savior. And in need of God to be God. Our calling comes from a God who chooses us, not on account of how successful we are, or how smart we are, or how industrious we are. And this might make us gasp a little bit. Even those who do not have a lot of faith, God seems to still, through Christ, exert more faith in us than we tend to exert in Him. How about you this morning? Are you disappointed? I think another, I think another worthwhile description of these guys, they're weary, like they're tired. I mean, all night fishing, apparently that's hard work. I have a friend that I went to primary school with. Does that make sense here, primary school? Do you know what that means? What it meant for me was short little gray shorts and a blazer and a tie with a white shirt. That's what it meant for me. I know you know what I'm talking about. What was my point? I, didn't I show you my notes? Well, apparently I just needed to tell you about my gray shorts and my white shirt and time. <laughs> These gray are not just for show, Henry. Jesus chooses Peter and the disciples despite the inadequacies. And maybe this is just a side point worth making. I love how Jesus sees the opportunity in that which others maybe consider failure. The fact that he um, uses these boats, goes out a little bit offshore, and then starts preaching. You know, it's just so innovative. <laughs> just think about it, right? Crowds are pressing in on him. Just a chapter ago, the crowds were pressing in on him to throw him off a cliff, by the way. If you ever want an exciting life... Follow Jesus. Yeah, they are pressing in, and because they're pressing in, probably not everybody can hear what he's saying, and so he kind of, kind of just sees what's there. I love how he just sees what's there, and he uses what's there to do that which God has called him to. Here's a side point, nothing, <laughs> not in my notes. Here's how the church sometimes operates. We think, we think that we need what is not here to proclaim the hope of Jesus Christ. You know what we need is we need eyes to see, like Jesus, the opportunities that are here. The empty boats. The places where people have looked at and says that spells disappointment is often the places of opportunity. The places where others have said, you know what, I, I, I feel fatigued and I am disappointed could be the very place, the very vehicles through which God works. And so... Jesus shows up in their disappointment. He shows up in their ordinary exercise of work. And he blesses them. It's easy to overlook 
the physical blessing of fish. But what a blessing it was, not only for the disciples, but for everyone. I love that Jesus does that. I made fish this past week. Tilapia, if you, thanks for asking. Really, really good. I love that Jesus blesses with not just, you know, you remember the feeding miracles where it's just not enough for the 5,000 plus, but 12 baskets more. I love that Jesus' grace is so generous that there's enough not only for the disciples, but for many other people. It is because of the gift of Jesus and the blessing of Jesus that I think the sin that Peter identifies is the sin of not trusting and believing in who Jesus truly is. That makes him say, get away from me. I love that Jesus makes short work of any kind of, you know, at that point, if, if it was me, I'd be like, well, Peter, <laughs> let's talk about why you had no faith. Let's talk about, you know, the fact that you needed to, you needed to get it. But I, I just love the way the text unfolds. Jesus, Jesus just kind of takes the surprise and the embarrassment and perhaps the conviction and he says this, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And then he promises Peter and those with him that their lives would continue to do important work. And we stand in amazed. Like Isaiah in the in the temple and Moses in front of the burning bush in the incarnate Christ who blesses and shows himself as God, who calls ordinary people to extraordinary work. I want to close by just saying a few things perhaps to the younger generation. And by that I mean you, Jennifer Lawars. Many of us believe that we are called to specific vocations, specific tasks. Can I just say this to you? God has called us all to one primary task. That is to do the will of the Father. Let me add this to you. There is freedom in choosing how you're going to do it. While it comforts a lot of people to say, there's one specific thing that God has called me to, and don't get me wrong, he may do that with some of us, but for most of us, we must first say yes to his will for our life and then be discerning of how we will fulfill it. The second thing, do not look at me and say, Does that, is that what it looks like to respond to the calling of God? 
I think what we've done is we have made the calling of God only applicable to some people who preach and become missionaries. The calling of God is to everyone to become disciples. It is for everyone to follow. So if you're sitting here today, I want to say to you that your ordinary work can become a means of witness and grace. I want to say to you that be the best technician, whatever it is you people do. Be the best you can be and see how God can use ordinary things for extraordinary purpose. May the Spirit of God breathe an imagination into you that you would see the potential in the ordinary, that you would believe that God can make things happen in your life and through what you possess to His purpose and glory. Do not live a life that separates the divine presence and His calling from your day-to-day existence. For it is in the ordinary that God calls, and it is through the ordinary that God blesses. Father God, this morning, I thank you for your word. We take a moment together to say thank you for Peter. Thank you for someone who represents for many of us a An example that is not about perfection, but a right heart, a desire. Thank you that your grace extends to us, not because we have qualified ourselves and been smart enough, but because you have chosen us through your grace. You invite us to obedience today. I I can't neglect that in the text. It is very clear that, that whether... Peter wasn't sure or certain or doubting or weary or tired or actually having faith. He, 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 he knew what he had experienced, and yet when you said, when you said, cast your nets here, he said yes. I pray that we would say yes to whatever that would mean for us today. Perhaps it is to, to rethink the places we have given up hope on. Maybe it is to rethink uh, the people we've given up hope for. Maybe it is to believe that when you lead us by your Spirit and tell us that despite our knowledge, you may have something in store for us that our past and our intellect doesn't allow us to access. Whatever it is we do with what has been proclaimed, may we be obedient. In Christ's name, amen.